The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. For more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. This show is designed to share prudent investment and financial planning strategies to you, our listeners. I'm Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner and CEO of Seattle-based wealth management company, Empirical Wealth Management, of my business partner and co-host, Ethan Broga here. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Good to see you as usual. Good to be here. Today, uh... Wednesday, May 18th, at time of recording here. It's a lovely day in Seattle, sunny. It's beautiful warm, outside. And quite beautiful, spectacular. Mm-hmm. Well, today, Ethan, on Empirical Investing Radio, we are going to start with some questions. We did, we've been begging, uh, uh, you could say begging uh, our listeners to send in some questions. We've got some. Yeah. And uh, it'd be a great time to answer them. One question came in about whether this is a good time for angel investment. Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about what that is and uh, try to give a, an answer to that question. Sounds fair. And uh, another question about dividend. Should you be investing in some of the high-dividend stock strategies? So I thought we could start the show just talking about those two topics. Okay. Which are pertinent, timely, and uh, pretty interesting. And topical. Topical? Yes, Topical. Before we do that, though, why don't you give out our information okay. and tell a little bit about what we're trying to do. I think that sounds good. Okay. Um, as usual, you can reach us at, at Empirical uh, Investing Radio at contact at empiradio.com or call us directly here at the office. The number is 800-923-4307. Uh, feel free to just mention that you were listening to the show and want to talk to Ken or Ethan. We'd be happy to, to pick up and speak with you. Um, as is in the past, past shows, you've also offered, um, and if you're looking for some personal financial guidance, uh, we'd love to talk with you about your specific situation and see what we might be able to do for you. And um, if you're a professional investment advisor out there looking to partner up with a very well-established firm, we would love to uh, talk that over with you as well. So again, the number is 800-923-4307. Ken, which topic are we going to talk about first today? Is it going to be the uh, angel investor or the dividend-paying stuff? Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the dividend uh, approach. Okay. I know you had a that was a, a question. Let's go to the or you know we call it the mailbag, right? That's right. Let's dig into that mailbag here for a second, Ethan. Oh boy, I don't know if I have it all queued up. Oh, here it is. 
Looking for reasons to play my favorite clip on here. Just trying to work in all the sound effects. Keep it enticing. All right, let's see what's going on. So, the question, Ethan, you got a question, I believe. That's right. Um, and uh, maybe you can you can put the question forward, and we'll we'll dive into this. Yeah, basically, I was uh, speaking with a client uh, last week. It was, and as it is from the time, obviously, um, folks come across things in the media or uh, either any of the financial publications, and uh, frequently get questions about different parts of, of the market, different strategies, and that sort of thing, or just my thoughts in general about a particular thing they, they'd recently read. And in this case, um, the client had uh, come across the uh, what they're calling the aristocrats uh, dividend investment. And I, I hadn't previously heard of it, uh, although I have been obviously somewhat familiar with dividend-paying strategies in the past. And so he's asking sort of, hey, why the last several years of returns have been pretty good. Um, why wouldn't we do something like this, more or less, in our, our portfolios? And so we had, a, um, I think, a nice discussion about it and you know, a thorough conversation uh, about these types of things in general, and then this one specifically. And certainly over the last couple of years, it does appear that the, the returns have been pretty uh, reasonably good relative to the market, I would say. And so one right. of the things that we're, we need to contend with is, as investment advisors, well, our, there are always lots of things that uh, do well over short periods of time. I mean, looking back from today, back five years, or any length of time, you, you can find numbers of things that um, have outperformed the market over that same period of time. Really, right. those are not difficult things to find. And But more importantly, what does is, what is this specific strategy uh, mean in terms of, of, you know, has it stack up relative to other things, and is it a viable strategy? That was really at the heart of the question. And so we spent some time looking at this. Well, this, just by the way, Ethan, I, this came out, um, I think back in the early 90s, there was a lot of talks, is when the first, um, this strategy of the dogs of the Dow. Right. And, and at that point, it was 10, I believe it was the 10 highest dividend-paying stocks of the Dow Jones Industrial Average Index. Okay, yeah. I'm familiar you, with that. Do you recall that? I do. And the general idea was, well, wow, hey, if you went back, um, I think there was a book in 1991, Beating the Dow, uh, Michael O'Higgins, and uh, the strategy involved picking 10, you know, what they're calling out-of-favor stocks, right, in the Dow Jones and holding them for a year. And then you you repeat the process. You go in the end of the next year, you look at the the uh, Dow, Dow, the top 10 highest dividend-yielding stocks, um, and you, re- you rebalance the portfolio. And actually, I recall that, I believe, I don't know if it was at Schwab, um, there was a trust, kind of a special trust created to uh, attack that strategy. That's exactly right. Um, do you remember that? I do recall that. Yeah. And then as the tech boom hit, um, it kind of lost a little favor there, I think, in the from mid-'90s through the 2000 period, right? Mm-hmm. People weren't really excited about that strategy because, geez, I, all these non-dividend-paying companies were were putting up spectacular returns, right? And so nobody, less people were very were interested. I, I think in terms of when I say interested, it wasn't in the media as much, right? The idea, particularly because it got crushed relative to a growth strategy. Yeah. Um, during that time period, just to kind of put a little context around it. Um, so, I think the dogs of the Dow. 
um, has averaged about in more recent times, somewhere about what the market has. And I only bring that up because it seems now, right, that it's not the dogs of the Dow. It's the two strategies that you, it's the S&P. Um, yeah, the aristocrats is a subset of the S&P uh, 500. So it uh, sounds like it's almost a very similar type of strategy where they're just trying to isolate the, the top dividend-paying stocks. Um, I guess one other thing that's slightly different other than the stock universe they're selecting from is the methodology is a little different. Uh, I guess it looks like the dogs of the Dow, they reconstitute that annually based on the top 10 dividend-paying stocks in the Dow for the prior year. Uh, and the aristocrats model is simply in making sure you include uh, stocks who have raised dividends apparently 25 years uh, in a row is the part of the criteria in for the, the, uh, the alternative strategy under the aristocrats model. So they kind of they've refined the approach from just pick the top X dividend yielding each year and rebalance to it's <laughs> the stocks that over the last 25 years have had a consistent record of increasing, increasing dividends, dividends. Exactly right. So I'm assuming they have to be paying a dividend to be in the fund. Yep. Um, and so how many stocks does that leave you with in that index? Uh, you know, let me check a look. I think it was 50, if I recall I correctly. it was 50 out of, I thought it was out of the 1500, S&P 1500 index, and we can get a little more detail on that. But let's talk about in, in general, why would we not be doing handsprings over something like this as a as a equity return enhancing strategy you know would you say hey i'll just put all my money in something like this none of my money or some of my money you know how does a person make that decision yeah well i mean uh in talking about this with the client um you know they're like i mentioned it's easy to find things that have done well over any period of time you can so literally select any period of time in which you've been invested with hindsight now and then go ahead and choose or look for the one that did the very best over any time frame. Um, so it isn't really helpful in the sense that, well, what does that mean going forward? How do I implement that strategy going forward? Does the past performance, is that indicative of future performance? You know, is mm -hmm. it going to work going forward? And that's the real real question here. And I think because of the, the lackluster performance of, of other dividend-paying strategies over extended market periods of time, you know, like the dogs of the Dow uh, back in the late 90s, probably didn't, didn't do nearly as well as the rest of the market. I mean, there can be substantial periods of underperformance. And I guess fundamentally, though, the real reason why I haven't been, uh, I have a hang-up on it, I guess I'd say, uh, and, and not recommending it fully is just because, you know, the, the five-year history isn't really long enough. I mean, there isn't any fundamental principle at work here that explains the extra returns. Yeah, it says 50, by the way, of the highest shielding companies out of the 1,500 index. Oh, okay. Just, I think that's relevant in, in terms of a couple of things, if you're dipping into the 1500 index instead of, say, the S&P 500, you're going to be getting some mid-caps, maybe even some smaller-sized companies mm -hmm. in that index. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So just to, you know, to throw that out there. Um, and the reason why that might be relevant is over time, there are longer-term research that's covered longer-term periods that has shown that a small, smaller size companies tend to generate higher expected returns. Mm -hmm. um, you'd want to know that, and the other component of it being value companies. And so, over long periods of time, it's hard because any basket of value companies, if you're doing 50 stock baskets, um, and some of these high dividend paying stocks may be 
it, it sounds like the criteria is not necessarily a value criteria. It's about the dividend yield, right? Yeah. Um, and the consistency of raising the dividend over a period of time. Yeah. Okay. And it, it, what was interesting, one thing, I mean, just conceptually, uh, you know, it has a, a pretty, looks like a pretty solid five-year track record. Um, well, why isn't that longer? You know what I mean? Why didn't have, why, we, why weren't we aware of this, you know, in 2006? Why weren't we talking about this back in the year 2000? Um, you know, most likely the reason is because they didn't do nearly as well. Mm. Right. If they did, mm-hmm. then we surely, surely would have heard about it. Um, so it, it really is a bit of a hindsight bias here, uh, I think, in, in, in effect. I mean, I'm not disputing the returns over the last five years, but I, I am saying that. Uh, I'm not sure why I, why I would expect the same type of returns over the next five years versus the market. Right. I don't understand why, why that would happen. So therefore, it's hard for me to get, uh, get excited about it and as I mean, hey, it's something new and that we should be using. What you're saying, I think, too, is where's the research that kind of back-tests this data um, over the last 80 years, for example? Yeah, right. Could you have done that? There's been some fundamental shifts in the way dividends are addressed by corporations in that in more recent times, you know, we've gone from 80%, I think, at, at, at a particular period of time of companies paying out dividends to 20% um, because of tax structure. So I think it's important to realize that if you're, the dividend payout in itself is one function of return, certain companies are buying back shares of stock. So instead of paying a dividend, they are purchasing, repurchasing their stock. We've got to take a quick break. We'll talk about that okay. and kind of resummarize this whole situation with the dividends. Be right back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 150 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica, hosted by Terry Aranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. 
autism is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. We're talking about dividend investing on today's show. Uh, whether or not it is a sound strategy, a complement to your portfolio, or is it something that should be examined with caution? And uh, is it just another, in my view, gimmicky um, gimmicky way for the investment community to sell a product based on recency? And we'll talk about <laughs> recency, Ethan. That sounds good. Um, but basically recency being whatever's done well recently – we're going to create a product and put it out there. This music uh, never seems to end. <laughs> I do love uh, love the U2, but uh, uh, I don't know. Hey, they're coming, uh, by the way. And they're really? They're going to be here June 4th. Really? I had um, tickets to go myself Interesting. And, uh, last year, and then they had to cancel due to a back injury Bono had. But they're back. But, uh, yeah, they're coming back. So just want to throw that out there. That's exciting. I always liked U2. Um Anywho, back on track here. All right. We're talking about the fact that the investment community, the product purveyors, uh, have had a pretty good history of creating product if you look at it. I mean, just look at the explosion in the number of exchange-traded funds from one, right? The S&P, I think it was the Spider. S&P 500 was one of the first ones in the mid-'90s that came out um, to when there's, there's literally thousands of these now now. There's tons, yeah. Um, I don't know what the current number is, but it's it's in the thousands. Easy. Um, now, do we really need a thousand? I mean, are all of these strategies relevant strategies that someone should put in? No, clearly, <laughs> most people don't own a thousand different ET, ETFs or funds, right? <laughs> right. 
but they're there if if and basically I think the market said hey we're going to create we're going to create um, fund structures that people can invest in any part of the market they want to whether it's high deal, dividend yielding low dividend I don't know if there's a low dividend yielding fund <laughs> that'd, that'd just be, be no funny. okay a no dividend yield but um, no every possible sector subsector country I mean there's everything well it it doesn't necessarily mean that they're all relevant and I would utilize them to build my portfolio, and I don't. Right. And I've got about 15 different asset classes that I'll use funds to represent those unique asset classes. Beyond that, there's really not much much more that I believe I need to have in my portfolio to be successful mm-hmm. and accomplish all the goals I have. Um, I certainly wouldn't take any single one of these strategies and focus a large concentration of my portfolio in in them. So... It may be debatable, and we'll talk about what we need to see before we would commit client capital to a specific fund like a dividend, high dividend yielding strategy, um, as a as the key element or the key investment um, target of that fund. Mm-hmm. But um, we certainly would never say, "Hey, let's go ahead and put all our money in this one type of strategy." Right. Um, you want to have a broadly diversified portfolio, which we've talked about time in and time out. And then if you find um, reasonable ways to diversify that portfolio or try to enhance the return or lower the risk, you you do that in kind of a core and satellite uh, situation. And you have your diversified, and then you can use a fund that has 50 securities because you already own 15,000 securities in the rest of your portfolio. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That would be my my advice or my approach. Well, let's get back to this dividend discussion, though. Okay. Um, now, research was done quite a while ago on the corporate structure, and um, some academics put out papers saying, hey, you know, the dividend policy is not the important thing. A, a company can decide to pay the pay the earnings that they receive out in the form of a dividend. They could certainly buy back their own stock, um, which leaves more earnings per share, which would, which would generally mean that the share price would should go up right. over time because it's less each earn, dollar of future earnings is going to be less dilution involved there. Right. So some companies choose to do that. Uh, some companies choose to reinvest their retained earnings into future growth opportunities. Yeah. So they don't, they don't pay a dividend, nor do they buy back shares. They may retain their earnings and invest it in their in their business. That's right. Mm-hmm. So you we were just talking about Apple as an example, right? They they've had some pretty phenomenal growth recently. Yes, the last last five years has been phenomenal. Stock market. Um, I know they've been their longer history, they've been through ups and downs. But they haven't they've yet to pay out a dividend. Is that the case? That's exactly correct. I just looked it up and they, they have no no dividend. Microsoft, uh, local company here had phenomenal uh, share, shareholder value. I mean, how many millionaires were made out of Microsoft stock? I don't think I can count that high. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's a joke. Um, they sure. only, in the last, what, five to ten years? I'm trying to think when they started. It was yeah, I within think, the last six, Yeah, five, years. six years is my guess. Um, they had the one-time special $3 dividend. Uh, people are pretty excited about that. But really, I mean, what happened is that, uh, you know, 
the share price went down three bucks on the same day. So it's not really wasn't a great deal in that sense. But yeah, they didn't start paying dividends. So two thousand three is when they um, looks like they started to pay dividends. But their greatest growth in terms of of stock appreciation. I mean, the stock came out what nineteen eighty six or something eighties something like that. They did not pay. Was if you were saying, hey, I'm only going to restrict my investment universe to those companies paying the highest dividend. You'd those are a couple examples of, of phenomenal companies you'd that you avo- would have avoided right? Um, simply because they made a decision within the company. It's not that Microsoft didn't have a cash flow beyond before 2003, right? Right. There's a period of time where their best investment was either buying back shares, right, or reinvesting the capital into other opportunities, buying other, acquiring other firms, uh, other technologies, reinvesting in their research and development, and by doing so, thus increasing further their earnings and thus increasing the share price. So dividend is one component of the return. Mm-hmm. It's not the only component. And where we get nervous, I think, is when a particular strategy rises to attention simply because of the recent situation if it was you know we went from having a very small number of of mutual funds or investments that were concentrated on technology stocks to a very high number towards the peak of the stock market then right after the market declined um, you you saw different products that were being rolled out to address that last market decline the technology bubble right sure and it seems and then it's okay well now it's dividends that we should be focusing on because it's easy to convince people, I think, in general, oh, hey, you, you get the dividend, that's money in your pocket. And it's hard to cook the books, as it were, if they're paying you out a dividend and say the earnings aren't there when you're getting the dividend, which is a reasonable argument. But I think what we're saying is you need to look at the longer-term research on it. And fundamentally, you want to determine is there a risk-reward relationship here? If I'm expecting a higher rate of return than, say, the market as a whole, the market is this pretty powerful force over a longer period of time of working out inefficiencies and saying, geez, if there's a free lunch to be had here, should it continue to go on? So as an example, do we, do we con- would we think it's reasonable to say, well, equities in the, in the long term have outperformed T-bills, and because everyone knows that's happened, will everyone rush into equities, and now that relationship won't hold? Will they ever exploit that out, that, that, oppor- that outperformance opportunity? Will that ever be gone? Likely it won't, and the reason is because there's a fundamental risk-return relationship there. Equities are riskier and therefore need to demand a higher rate of return than Treasury bills do. Yeah, otherwise no one would buy, buy the stocks. And what I'm the point I'm making there, Ethan, then, is I should feel reasonably comfortable that if I build a broadly diversified portfolio across U.S. and other international developed and, under, and less developed countries, that that relationship should hold over time. Mm-hmm. It, at least it's worth pursuing as a, as a strategy because I think, yeah, if I have a long enough time horizon and I'm willing to tolerate some some portfolio fluctuation in the value of my investments, there's an opportunity to be rewarded for that. If it's, if the, if, if, if treasury bills and stocks had the exact same risk characteristics, 
would you expect then to get a higher rate of return in one versus the other? Ethan? Uh, say that again, Ken. All right, you weren't listening, bro. I got distracted. <laughs> I'm looking outside going, oh my gosh. Yeah. There's an well, accident there. I'm just saying that if, what I was saying is, if, if stocks had the same risk characteristics mm-hmm. as treasury bills did, in terms of the same type and level of risk, yeah, right. of loss of capital over the same short periods of time, would they, would they offer the same, would you expect to get a higher rate of return of, over, of one over the other in the long run? You're saying if they had the same risk, risk characteristics, would I expect a higher return in one or the other? No. Yeah, yeah, if stocks didn't move at all. No. Right? Okay. If you were guaranteed to get your principal back, if it was one day, one week, two weeks, a month, a year, right, they would have the same similar risk, risk characteristics. You wouldn't expect that to hold. Now, let's tie that back in here to what we're talking about, the dividend yield. If there there has to be some fundamental risk relationship, in my view, before yeah. I would invest it. I don't want to invest simply because someone found a going through the sorting through the data a period of time that, hey, if I put my money in these 10 high dividend paying stocks and rebalanced it in just this way right. um, or that way, and there was no real risk characteristics. It wasn't that these companies were depressed, you know, companies that had been hammered, their stock prices got hammered, and really the dividend stayed the same, but they just became more risky as far as the market view of it was. So the market's demanding a higher rate of return. The dividend may be coincidental or incidental to that. Right. Right. Exactly. That, geez, they've continued to pay the dividend and even raise it, but something about the, the, the company's prospects have driven the value of the company price down, which has made the dividend yield even higher. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's... Well, we've got to take a quick break, Ethan. We'll come right back. We'll Sounds talk good. about this. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management. Inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. You gotta Listen up. Conceive Magazine is now on the air, live, and on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Hosted by Kim Han, founder of Conceive Magazine. 
Conceive On Air offers comfort and emotional support to women contemplating starting or expanding their family by consulting noted professional experts and by sharing the insights and experiences of others. There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Hi, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken and Ethan. I want to remind you, uh, if you want to give us a call at 1-800-923-4307, we'd be happy to talk to you about doing a free uh Retirement plan, investment checkup, uh, is one of our is listeners to the program. Um, if you have a question for us to read, like we're talking today about high dividend paying stocks, we were going to talk about angel investing. If we have enough time, it was a question that one of our listeners had. Is this a good time to be investing in that? If you have any question about investing, um, and it can it can be you know, last week I talked to Ethan about you were out. On a luxurious vacation, and um, I wouldn't say luxurious, Bob. <laughs> and I mentioned, hey, it could be if you're thinking about um, reviewing your insurance. You know, we don't sell insurance products, but we're pretty knowledgeable about the purpose and the value of them in a in a in a wealth strategy. Yep. So, hey, should I be buying term policies? Should I be looking at whole life policies or permanent policies? Should I be using annuities? Are those viable, fixed, or indoor variable? Um, should I, you know, I'm looking at, I don't have an estate plan, or I had one, but it's been a while. I want to make sure it's appropriate. We'd love to, any of those kinds of topics, um, should I buy a house, rent a house, buy a car, rent a car, any of those kinds of things, we, we want to hear from you. Uh, if it's something we don't even know about, we'll research it and get an answer for yep. you. So if you do put in a question, we'd be happy to send you one of our favorite investment books. Um, we've got several. We'll just pick one out and send it to you. If you give us your your uh, mailing address, we'd be happy to send you one. And uh, let us know if it's okay for us to give your name on the radio program, and we'll we'll read the question and and give you the answer on uh, on the air. All right, Ethan, and you can email us for that at contact at empiradio.com. That's contact at empiradio.com. Ethan, we're talking about high yielding uh dividend high dividend yielding uh funds right and particularly we're talking about the there's a couple of strategies out there. there's a dow jones i think high dividend yielding uh fund and then the uh, spider version which tracks uh some kind of an aristocrat index 
That's right. Um, and so we were saying, hey, listen, is, is, is before the break there, I was trying to make a point, which is sometimes difficult, but um, <laughs> I appreciate you bearing with me, that there, you can't just take a strategy because the, you know, the company who launches the fund says, hey, this is a great strategy, and not only that, for the last five years, look at what this fund has done or look at what the strategy has done. It's killed the market in general. Mm -hmm. There's a process that you have to go through to make that decision. And I think sometimes for on the individual investor side, it's easy to shortcut that process. Yes. Most investors don't even have a process other than, yeah, I read an article. Sounds reasonable. It says this is done better. Right. Um, and maybe I've got an advisor and they haven't done better. Um, well, you got to be a little bit cautious about how you approach that because that same argument was made by many investors who said, geez, why would I have an advisor who's building me this diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds on a global basis and has weightings to areas that have been academically tested, like small and value and all these other things, when all I have to do is buy the Janus 20 fund, right? Back Which in the day, a, that's right. Or the Janus Technology Fund or whatever it was of the day. Right. Um, and I'm crushing. Why am I paying anybody for any advice when I can just do that? Or even even better, I'll just go out and buy tw a few handful of technology stocks, and I won't even have to pay the mutual fund manager the fees yeah, for J the diversification benefit. Some JDS Uniface, some Intel. Yeah. You know, I can get the Cisco. Uh, the brokerage company of my choice, uh, I mean, I'm seeing commercials and they're flying helicopters around and, and they're going to they're gonna teach you how to make a bunch of money. Right. Um, you don't need anybody's help when, why don't you take, it's almost <laughs> kind of funny, but it's like, why don't, you know, you can take control of your own destiny. I guess apparently you'll be flying a helicopter and all this kind of stuff, <laughs> but only to get, only to get burnt because... You know, then the technology stuff collapses, and and you would have done far far better in the diversified brooch. You know, that it's the whole tortoise and the hare scenario here. Right. And you would have never gotten into that portfolio of individual tech stocks or a handful of mutual funds buying tech stocks had you thought about a longer term, bigger picture, and also said, hey, there's got to be some scrutiny to this. You know, is being in a, a very concentrated sector concentrated portfolio I don't care how well it's done over the last five years you know we're sitting in 1999 I don't care how well is this going to be the best approach for me over the over my investment time horizon yeah I mean the examples of that are are, are numerous and plentiful yes the, plentiful the, the tech stock situation you're looking at for that is well REITs I just need to own a portfolio of REITs you know going in from 2000 to 2006 thereabouts they were phenomenal or hey, I just own uh, a bunch of emerging markets. That's it. Right. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of risks of of focusing all your investment energies in one particular part of the market, regardless of the strategy. And and you know, my view of this is, or one of my views anyway, is that anything that gets you to extremes is certainly something to be avoided when it comes to investing. You should not right. be all one thing or the other at any time. That's true. So specifically, the point I was making is, I need to see the research that shows me that. Focusing on the high dividend stock, you know, rather than a company using its capital structure to its highest and best use by being able to make a choice of, hey, do I have profitable projects to reinvest in? If if the market put a very large emphasis on simply on dividends, um, you'd have companies foregoing 
profitable projects and growth strategies to get investor capital so so they'd have to pay out high dividends, see what I'm saying? Yeah. And the tax policy is what started to change some of the what was one of the big impacts on how dividends with the favorable capital gain treatment. A lot of times it was more profitable net of tax to the end investor to pay out the return in the form of capital appreciation of the stock rather than the income component of it. Right. But is there more is there some risk return relationship there? Do companies that pay out larger dividends have um, is there fundamentally a riskier do they do they expose themselves to more risk, which would then return into a rewarded risk? And there are other ways of looking at stock value, like book to market, PE multiples, that are similar in terms of trying to come to some value, right? Some measure of value. Um, in that, that allow you also to be a little bit more diversified. And so um, the other point that you made, Ethan, before we started talking about this was, if you're focusing on dividend-paying stocks, they tend to concentrate in certain sectors of the market at yeah, certain right. times. And so while this fund, as an example, did very well over the last five years that it's doing that, mm-hmm. It was focused on certain sectors of the market. And the question you have to ask yourself then is, well, did the returns come from the fact that it was in a sector? Or was it the dividends? Yeah, exactly. So if if the fu- if the stocks of that particular sec- sector did equally as, as well, um, the, the lower dividend-paying stocks of that sector did e- equally as well as the high-paying dividend stocks, the return probably, the, if we were saying where did the attribution of returns come from, may have been from just being in that particular sector. That's correct. Um, and again, we were talking about technology. I mean, the technology sector did quite well in the 90s, right, without paying hardly any dividend. Right. Um, I mean, so in this case, I think Steve, didn't Steve kind of break it down? He did. Uh, this fund as an example? He did. Over the last five years, the, the top sector weighting at 26.2% is consumer staples. Uh, the number two ranking there is consumer discretionary at 19%. And then materials make an additional 14%. So the top three sectors make up approximately uh, 60% of the total portfolio allocation among equities, um, meaning that there's, there's going to be an impact. And if you look at the sector returns for those particular years, uh, they're very high relative to the rest, meaning that those particular sectors over this particular period of time did particularly well. And so there's got to be an influence of returns there. You know, it certainly accounts for some of the return. Um, I, my argument is probably a large part of the extra return you receive there. Um, simply by, hey, this strategy happened to mean that you own more of these particular sectors over this particular time. So the return attribution isn't necessarily related to the dividends itself, but more of, hey, what are my stocks generally in terms of sectors? Where am I exposed? And those sectors specifically did pretty well. Now, we don't know. We haven't had the time to research this to the extent where we know exactly what the dividend yields were for each of these sectors over the period of time. Right. Certainly, those sectors could have had higher dividend yields as a whole. True. Um, but we're assuming with 50 stocks, they didn't own every single stock in each sector mm-hmm. um, and still be able to be diversified across all these different sectors. Right. I mean, and I think maybe another example is for folks who aren't you know, in the industry, which I think is probably the main audience here, not accounting for a sector exposure is kind of like saying, uh, hey, I'll, just, I'll build an investment strategy a lot of focus on dividend-paying stocks and, let's say, emerging markets over the last five years. Right. And let's say that this, this methodology uh, accounts for uh, has a 15% return for the last five years. 
well, that in itself sounds pretty stellar. That sounds pretty good. Like, well, that sounds like it's working. But then if we learn after the fact that emerging markets itself happens to be up 12% per year over the last five years annually, clearly then we, we understand that we simply had better return because we own emerging markets. Right. There's less less to do perhaps with the dividends and more more specifically to do with the actual part of the market I was targeting. So there's this, this element that you need to understand what's all the different areas of attribution to the returns. Where are the returns coming from? Um, if, if you're evaluating an active mutual fund manager, stock picker, yeah. um, and all he bought was very small companies at a time where small companies, say the Russell 2000, did 50%, and large companies, say the S&P 500, only did 10%, um, are we that excited that that manager beat the S&P 500 if they were an all-small-cap manager? We've got to take a quick break, Ethan, mm-hmm. and we'll be right back for our last segment. All right. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. 
To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Hi, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. If you want to give us a con- uh, give us a call, 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. We'd love to uh, give you a free overview of your financial situation, do a retirement plan, portfolio checkup. Um, we haven't really talked about it on the show, Ethan, but uh, we do work with individual investors. They engage us to manage their investment portfolios. The returns on our model portfolios have been very, very good. Um, we'd be happy to share that data with you. Uh, I think we can do it on a one-on-one basis. Yeah. So if you want to email us, we'd be happy to kind of share with you a little overview about how we actually work with clients on a day-to-day basis to help them manage their portfolio and make financial decisions. Yeah, and um, on that as well, we, we do offer uh, hourly financial planning engagements as well. Um, we have uh, do that pretty regularly. So for folks who are, are pretty content with how things are running on, on their own terms of their portfolio, but are looking for, you know, a thorough second opinion as to are they on the right track, specifically for retirement types of things, uh, and generally how that's how it usually works out. But we can make sure that the after examination of all the facts and, and, and details of a specific client situation, um, make sure that they are on the right path and, and what they should be doing uh, outside just the investments as well to make sure things are stay on track. We did the um, our the financial makeover we did for the Seattle Times uh, appeared this Sunday and yeah. uh, I met with Megan the the lady who volunteered to or, or applied to go through the program and she was very happy with the process and you know, we got her on track she really didn't have a lot of direction about how she was going to retire how much money she needed to retire how she was going to get there how to invest which investments to choose what in vehicles should she be using a mm-hmm. 401k pre-tax Roth just putting it into a regular account um, when you start to break down these decisions it is can be somewhat overwhelming <laughs> Lots of sometimes you just need some help right getting started by someone who's done it several hundred or thousand times yeah. uh, with people and trying to line up hey, years we built a budget for and Mm-hmm. Um, worked through that whole process, went through all our insurance coverages to make sure she was protecting the assets that she's building. Yeah, I, I, I just off, uh, just finished up an hourly uh, engagement with a, with a couple from Seattle. And uh, one of the topics uh, that we covered with them uh, specifically was how to maximize Social Security within their specific context. You know, everybody hears their general rules of thumb, how that all works. But how does that apply specifically to my situation? And how does that impact my overall uh, portfolio allocation and financial plan? So it's one of the things we walked through uh, recently. Got a very satisfactory um, recommendation. They were very happy with what the work that was done. Um, an additional uh, top of that, they also wanted to know, hey, what we have lots of money in a in a tax deferred IRA account. You know, should we be converting? If so, how much? Over what time frame? How does that all work? And how does that impact my overall financial plan and the the success or failure of my financial plan? And so we were able to to bring specific recommendations on those specific topics. Um, given a client specific circumstances and it's pretty uh pretty rewarding so i was very happy that uh we got to do the hair week this last week nice work 
So going back to our discussion here, wrapping this thing up on okay. the dividend thing, I had one last point. I think we've we've talked about this a lot of the show here, and uh-huh. I think it's a pretty good discussion. But I had one one thing and, uh, that I think would be also interesting for listeners to, to view, because obviously you and I kind of are in the business here. We, we spend, We're in the biz. We spend our time learning about this stuff, doing this stuff, and, and researching about this. And one of the things that goes on, and it's a pretty common practice uh, in the industry, is when you know a mutual fund company or an investment company, you know, they'll launch... All types of sound effects randomly for no particular reason. <laughs> Not just kidding around. No, seriously though, mutual fund companies gonna hammer you, or investment companies what I'm saying. will launch many strategies at one particular time. And you know, when they launch these things, they don't know ahead of time anyway which ones are going to be the successful winners, which ones no. are going to be the ones that do the best. And a few few years, years later, after they've been around for a while, they're closed. They literally close down the ones that don't do well. So maybe a fund company has 10, 10 strategies they launch in one particular year, and maybe three years later, only two. Are remaining and that have done very well over the last three years. Right. Um, and then what happens is they, they generate these, this marketing material uh, for the ones that did survive that explains in great detail, now that they have perfect hindsight, how and why the strategy works so well. Right. And, you know, this is one of the reasons we don't like to make decisions based on short term track records because the, the information that's available hasn't been tested long enough. And there's this survivorship bias in the data that we were, were keenly aware of and tend to steer away from things that have done super well very recently for that exact reason. For us personally, Ethan, the, the, the investment asset classes that we're using, um, we feel comfortable that there's substantial long-term research that, that shows that these are viable asset classes that should be in a portfolio. And we know what the, the, the risks are and the expected return, pre- return premiums over market, general market returns we should get. The dividend is something that we would continue to monitor, but to date, we need more research to show that it's really a viable strategy, that there is a, a good risk-return relationship there. Yeah, exactly. That we can we can count on, not simply because now for the last X short-term period of it's worked well, um, but that it will work well over a long period of time, that we will be offering clients maximum return for the risks they take, and that we can expect that return to emerge. And focusing on simply on on uh, sectors of the stock market, research has shown that's not the best way to do it because you know we don't know what sectors are going to evolve, and there's no reason to expect one sector over the long run to do better than another. And just because it's in a superior sector, get a higher rate of return. That's not how it works. No, it is not how it works. Although that is how a lot of the traditional managers spend their time. A lot of their focus is put on that. And the more time they all spend on it, the more dollars and research they put in, the less likely it is to, to work, which benefits us <laughs> right. in the way we invest. Yep. Um, so anything else about this dividend situation? I think that, uh, I think that, I think that does it. We've got a couple of minutes. and we, were, we got this question from a listener about, is now a good time to, to invest uh, as to do angel investing? And, Ethan, we've only got a, about a minute here, so I thought we could just open the door on this. Okay. And maybe next week is the beginning we start to talk about it in a little more detail. We'll kick that door in. Yeah, we'll kick that door wide open. All right. But, you know, first let's define what it is for the, for, for the rest of the listener, okay. listeners out there who may not know. Um, but angel investing is a form of investing in private companies and more specifically, private companies that are startup companies, that they are in the very, very early 
stages of development to the point where they haven't even attracted the venture capital firms, these firms that are in the business of going out and finding the Facebooks, right, or the Googles, um, after they've kind of got on their path but haven't, they're not publicly traded stocks, they still need funding to grow and expand. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically angel investors are those investors that are coming in and providing money to a startup company. Um, here at Empirical, we have big, big plans and big dreams of sharing the message of doing what's right for our clients around the country, right? And it would be like us going out and saying, hey, if we had some capital, we could expand a lot quicker. Sure. But we haven't really developed a company that's of the size to attract a venture capital firm or or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of what's going on there. Typically, it tends to be high net worth individuals um, that are providing the funds for this. Right. We've got a we're running out of time here, Ethan, but I do have a lot to say about, well, is it a good time? It may have less to do with the current economic cycle that we're in as to whether it's a good time or not for the vast majority of people and more to do about their personal situation right? and how they would evaluate these investments. But we'll have to talk about that next week, so we'll start off with that discussion. Sounds good. Have a great week, and thanks. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.